Welcome into Running for the Roses. I'm Ryan Baffle, Lucas, joined by Lucas Rohde. Back to chat another week of college football. Lucas, my friend, how are you doing this fine day? I am doing very, very well. Um, as I was telling you before the podcast, I mentioned it to our viewers. Looks like that I just came from working out or from a run. That is exactly what happened. So, um, uh, wearing a little bit of the cutoffs. Um, but, uh, but no, otherwise doing very, very well. Um, will say, I forgot to mention too, good lawn update Ooh, as well. Um, uh, we are doing our fall overseeding. So planted some, did some, uh, pulled some weeds this weekend uh, when there wasn't football on, uh, cut the grass and, uh, laid some beautiful Kentucky bluegrass. So I'm excited to see that come in here in the next couple of weeks. It's been a while since we've had a Lucas lawn update. This was impromptu. Did, did, did not plan this. Wow. Uh, it's exciting. What does running weather look like in Nashville right now? Because it was about 102 it degrees is. today in Arizona. <laughs> still. It is. Still. Uh, you still got a couple weeks left. I think it's, I, what is it, October usually when it finally starts to Yeah, I mean, this is a, these, these are bit. supposed to be our last days of 100 plus. I mean, even for the for ASU's three home games, the kickoff temperature has been over 100 degrees every game. I can't imagine what it's like on the field so like mornings are nice it's in the mid 70s and it gets up to the high 90s and low 100s during the day i think it was like 101 today so hopefully like end of september it gets into like the low 90s and then right around early to mid-october we start getting into our 80s and 70s that we'll have until probably april so well and i was gonna say especially with the lack of humidity in arizona like i feel like low 90s is very very comfortable or relatively comfortable down there during the day like it's low 90s in arizona it's different than low 90s in like tennessee where you have like 60 percent humidity but right. um but no ruddy weather here is, it's been beautiful uh this last week it finally started uh labor day it was hot as heck here it was in the mid upper 90s um but it was 78 degrees outside today uh, with a nice little cool breeze um starting to see some of the leaves start to change here too so um no, it's it, this is a September and October in Tennessee are beautiful. So it's a, it's a great time of the year to especially to go outside for a run. Uh, all right, little run of show here, Lucas, and I'll give out our weekly roses celebrating the best of the week in college football. We'll do a little week three recap, kind of our main takeaways from the week. Uh, a fun weekend for sure. You had a crazy Colorado Colorado State game in the late window. You had uh, Tennessee losing on the road to Florida. Alabama, I think, is still trying to find the end zone. Like, I think if you watch the game on ABC now, they're still trying to score. Tyler Buckner is still trying to complete a pass. Uh, so that was kind of a weird one in uh, in South Florida. Uh, and then Lucas and I will get to a loaded week four. Probably it's the best weekend by far of the season so far. Might be might go down as the best weekend, at least on paper, of the season. I think six or seven ranked-on-ranked matchups after not having one last week. So Lucas and I will preview week four. We're going to draft some matchups, kind of our favorite matchups of the upcoming week in college football. Then we'll get out of here with our picks of the week. All right, Lucas, I'll let you go first. Your weekly rose. Uh, it's going to go to, a, I think, a, a familiar face for you and some Badger fans. It, it is, and I'm going with um, Hunter Wooler, who was today was uh, was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Hunter Wooler in um, what was a kind of a, a messy game against Georgia Southern. Wisconsin forced six turnovers. Hunter Wooler was responsible for two of them. He had two interceptions, nine tackles, um, as well as a sack. Um, I do think 
Um, if you're just a college football fan in general, maybe not necessarily a Wisconsin or a Big Ten fan, I still think um, Hunter Wooler is a name to know. I think he's one, not only one of the best safeties in the Big Ten, but I think he is one of the best safeties and overall defensive players in the country. Dude is just everywhere. He actually leads safeties in the country in tackles right now, and I believe he is second in interceptions. So I'm going to get to Hunter Wooler. He was all over the field um, on Saturday uh, for Wisconsin as they won 35-14 to over Georgia Southern. So, like I said, name to know, Hunter Wolf, yeah. safety at Wisconsin. Yeah, weird weird Wisconsin game. Down 24-7 to and still cover 20-and-a-half. Kind of an offensive explosion there in the uh, the second half for the Badgers. I know you were feeling a, 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 a little antsy, were you feeling, uh, quickly uh, on, on Wisconsin as they improved to 2-1? and one? Uh, yeah, when uh, Georgia Southern goes up fourteen to seven in the second uh, what half, right? Play second half. Yes, on a th- on a three after we punt it after going after a three and out um, because we went for it on fourth down, but we had an illegal formation play uh, that made us punt it, and then Georgia goes down the field in three plays and scores a touchdown to go up fourteen to seven, and I, as I mentioned, we forced six turnovers in this game and we had none. We had forced three at that point. And still, we're losing 14 to seven. Was getting a little worried, but as been the trend uh, has been for Wisconsin, they are ama- they've been amazing in the third quarter. They've been dreadful in every other period of the game, but the third quarter they're outscoring teams 48 to seven so far this year. So thank goodness, third quarter uh, Badgers came along um, and were able to at least put that one away. And like you said, did cover, which I was actually very very thankful for. Um, for other personal reasons as well on Saturday. Yeah, we don't have to get into those reasons on the podcast. Don't worry. All right, my weekly roast is going to Missouri kicker Harrison Mevis. Uh, maybe the game of the day, certainly one of the fun ones in the noon window, was Kansas State at Missouri. Lucas, the SEC finally gets a marquee non-conference win. It took Missouri, uh, one of two ranked teams, to lose. It was uh, Missouri upsetting Kansas State 30-27. to and uh, Harrison Mevis, man, good for him. A 61-yard field goal, an SEC record 61-yard field goal as time expires to beat the Wildcats. It was an absolute wild scene there in Columbia. The fans rushed the field. We think there's a flag, but it turns out to just be a Missouri gold T-shirt. Finally, we get that cleared up. Missouri wins. The Tigers are 3-0. Huge win for Eli Drinkowitz. And... Lucas and I were texting about this. The the Missouri's running a two-minute drill, and they get a first down with, like, I think six seconds left. They spike it. Mm-hmm. And they get a delay of game to push it back five yards. They, they, they somehow don't understand they have to get the field goal unit on. They have no timeouts left. So with, like, six seconds left, they try to run the offense onto the field. They get called for a delay of game, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, they're going to fire Eli Drinkowitz. Yeah. They're going to lose in overtime. There's no way this kicker is going to make a 60-yard field goal, and Mavis just drills it. I mean, it's good from 65. I mean, just absolutely yeah. laces it through. Missouri's 3-0, and huge win for the Tigers, and Harrison Mavis for an SEC record 61-yard field That's goal. Insane. Get my weekly and, rose. And I was going to say, was Nevis the, the Mizzou kicker last yep. year against Auburn, and he missed like a 28-yarder? Yep. It was like – or shorter than like – It was like an extra point. point and, yeah. yeah, and missed it to lose that game. And they ended up losing in, I think, like double overtime. That was like a what a thirteen to ten, yep. just slobber knocker type of game. But no, kudos to him. Yeah, like you said, that thing yeah was good from sixty five seven. It was dead center too, like never a doubt. 
uh, on that kick. And like you said, yeah, probably easily the best win Eli Drinkowitz has had in his stint at Mizzou. And you could tell after the game how how much that game, I think, meant to him and also meant to that team as well. Uh, all right, let's turn our attention to week three here. We're going to go back and forth with our takeaways. I will let you go first, Lucas, real quick. I'm just going to read through how the top ten fared. Uh, Georgia beat South Carolina 24-14. Michigan completes their non-conference schedule with a 31-6 win over Bowling Green. Florida State escapes Boston College 31-29 on the road in Chestnut Hill. Texas, a bit of a sleepwalking performance, 31-10 win over Wyoming. Ohio State 63-10 over over Western Kentucky. Penn State goes on the road and uh, beats Illinois 30-13. Washington continues to roll. They uh, stomp Eastern. Uh, they stomp Michigan State, forty-one to seven. Notre Dame as well, forty-one seventeen over Central Michigan. And we mentioned Alabama, uh, a dreadful offensive performance, losing to or uh, beating USF seventeen to three. Lucas, what were uh, some of your takeaways here? Your 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 first takeaway. Where do you want to take us here from from uh, from week three? Yeah, I'm just going to take – one of the takeaways was from the team you just brought up, and, and not just in Alabama, but just in the SEC as a whole. I have no idea how to read this conference at all. Um, and we'll start with, with Alabama. You go on the road. We already we were joking last week, like, what, why the hell is Alabama playing a home game at USF? It took them, like, 15 years to finally do a true home-and-home series with a Power 5 team <laughs> in that same year. You're going on the road to South uh, – to South Florida, like we mentioned, probably for recruiting purposes, but it was not a good showing. Uh, I mean, this game was tied, what, 3-3, long, like late into the third quarter. Yeah. Um, Alabama basically just does enough just to get out there with a win. Jalen Monroe does not play at all. They tried Ty Buckner and Ty Simpson. They combined for 10-23 for 107 yards, averaged 4.7 yards per completion. And it just looked like a lifeless performance. And, like, I get it. You just came off a pretty emotional loss against Texas. You're going on the road against USF. Apparently, it sounds like maybe some of the players weren't happy about Jalen Monroe being benched and didn't think he deserved so for this game. And it was just an overall flat performance. We know Alabama's defense is still really, really good. But I worry, I mean, Nick Saban already mentioned that Jalen Monroe will be the starter for what sounds like the rest of the season um, and that he deserved it. But, man, oh, man, I, I don't know how to read this division. And then you look at the other side with Georgia, uh, really kind of their first kind of test, if you want to call it that, against South Carolina. And it was a game, too. It was a tight game heading late into the second half when Georgia finally kind of pulled away when – Basically, South Carolina realized they couldn't block anyone. Um, also, shout out to Spencer Sanders for just Spencer like, Rattler. <laughs> Spencer Rattler. My my apologies. Um, wrong SEC team. But Spencer Rattler. I don't know if he's going to survive the rest of the year. But dude just hangs in there. I've gotten a lot more credit for him this year um, for the way he's kind of taking a beating. That might be the worst offensive line in the SEC. But even with Georgia, and then you look at Tennessee. Joe Milton was not. Super efficient in their game against Florida. They lose by double digits. Um, and just kind of overall, like I said, the, the quarterback play, and that's been the theme this year, the quarterback play is just not great in the SEC. We mentioned Jalen Daniels might be the best quarterback in that conference. And if he's still at ASU, what is he, the fifth or sixth best quarterback in the Pac-12? 
And look, it might lead to an exciting finish. I think we actually might have a race in the SEC West. Um, I have no idea who the second best team in the SEC East is going to be. But really, that's just kind of my takeaway is I, it, we're three weeks in, and I have no idea how the SEC is going to shake out. So it's, it's interesting because the team I was going to bring up from the SEC, and you actually didn't, is LSU. LSU looks yeah. real. They would go on the road to Starkville and look really good. They beat Mississippi State 41-14. Jay Daniels basically plays a perfect game. 30 of 34, 361 yards, two touchdowns. Had two more touchdowns on the ground. Malik Neighbors had 13 catches, 239 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, LSU looks far and away, in my opinion, the best team in the SEC. Not even the SEC, or in, not even just the SEC West. Um, I have caught a little bit of Georgia each week, and they, they just don't look they don't look as explosive on defense as they have in years past. They don't look like they have the game wreckers on the defensive line, right? You don't have a Jalen Carter, you don't have a Nolan Smith, you don't have a Nicobe, like you don't have these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and listen, maybe that changes, and and maybe they're kind of sleepwalking a little bit. Um, but South Carolina was up fourteen to three at one point in that game, and and looked like. They came to play, and, and Georgia wakes up in the second half, uh, and and you're right, Spencer Spencer Rattler was just on his backside the entire game. You really do feel for him, Lucas. I I think when when you talk about the SEC, it's a couple things, right? The quarterbacks, like we've mentioned, are just not at an elite level. They're they're just not. I mean, you would take not only would you take five or six quarterbacks in the pack over them, you'd probably take what three quarterbacks in the Big Ten. You know, you take Caden McNamara, Luke Altmaier. I'm oh, sorry, hang on. Uh, I'm sorry. You, you know, you would take Drew Allard, You would take, you know, Drew Allar, J.J. McCarthy, and, and, and maybe yeah. Kyle McCord, right? So um, the highest uh, – I was listening to Cover 3 recap on Saturday, and they were like, who's going to be the highest-drafted quarterback in this conference? It's probably Spencer Rattler or Jaden Daniels. Rattler, yeah. Right? And so um, I, I just – the Alabama thing is, is very strange. So Josh Pate, who I watch his content quite a bit on YouTube, at Late Kick Josh, he put out a tweet, and he said, I believe Alabama players disagree with the staff's QB decision and gave a no-show effort in response. And Josh Pate's a guy that's pretty plugged in. I mean, it's a guy that he, Mm -hmm. in the preseason, will go around and and visit coaches and and does his show live on on YouTube elsewhere. And for him to say that on the air publicly, I, I think he probably has to believe it and has to kind of be pretty well sourced in that. And then guess what happens? Nick Saban announces a starting quarterback is going to be Jalen Milrow, and they're done with the, the Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson. I mean, Ty, Ty Simpson was a five-star, like top 30 overall player in his mm-hmm. class and just looks dreadful. The Bama receivers, the offensive line, I mean, that the – when you watch the performance, that is on, one of the only things that makes sense. Do they just quit? Do they just not give a crap? I mean, they had like an hour-plus delay because of like a, a crazy rainstorm that came through Tampa in the, I think, early in the second quarter. And, you know, listen, they were 31.5-point favorites. I took them at 31.5, and, and, and they just – it looked like a no-show effort. So the SEC's through three weeks is is – is muddy it's it's clouded we just we just don't know you know tennessee we thought could be the second best team in the sec east they go out and joe milton does not look like he is the guy that looks like a guy that's going to be replaced midway through the season um it's it's a really interesting time to be in 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 this conference for sure Mm -hmm. so 
Um, all right, my my takeaway is I am just so damn impressed with Washington. Um, I know Michigan State had the Mel Tucker stuff, and it came out today. He believes that they're going to fire him. We talked about that last week, but – I mean, Washington has played Boise State, Tulsa, and Michigan State. They've scored at least 41 points in each of their three games. Michael Penix has, I mean, just been amazing, right? When, when you look at what he's able to do, 1,332 yards, 12 touchdowns, one interception. You know, Rome, a dude's day, has 400, 419 yards. Jalen McMillan, 311 yards. Just, Jalen Pork, 300 yards. Like, they have three receivers with over 300 yards receiving in through three weeks. I mean, it, this offense is running at a really high level. Their first test on the road, and they just they just uh, curb-stomped Michigan State. Man. Yeah, I think they were 35 nothing in that game. Uh, yep. they, they really took it to them. I was really, really impressed with Washington. I continue to be impressed with Washington. They've got, I think, two very winnable games up next. They have Cal at home and then at Arizona before a bye week, and then at, and then after that, they'll host Oregon. But, I mean, if, if I'm just doing a rankings of the most impressive teams of this season, I think Washington is in the top five, if not higher. Yeah, I agree. And their offense is just so much fun to watch. They have so many weapons when you look at whether it's Jalen McMillan or Roma Dunze or Jalen Polk, like – they can just spread the ball so many ways. And they even ran the ball for over 170-plus yards um, against Michigan State. And, you know, obviously a tough week for Michigan State. You can maybe make an excuse that their head probably wasn't fully, fully in it. But good teams like Washington, they, take, they do that. Um, they take advantage of playing inferior competition. And that's all they've done this year. That was actually one of my takeaways they easily should be ranked in the top five, in my opinion. I think you could make an argument, um, at least from what they've done compared to some other teams like Georgia, like Michigan, uh, that they could probably be in that that top three yep. um, as of right now. And like you said, very manageable schedule with Cal and Arizona before they have a huge matchup with Oregon in a few weeks. Uh, and I'm interested to see if they can kind of keep their pedal to the metal. But, yeah, they've been so dang impressive. I think some of us, at least myself, maybe thought there might be a little bit of regression from how good their season went last year and they look even better um and michael Penix is easily putting himself in competition to moving up draft boards almost every week that you watch him play so yeah they've been extremely extremely impressive um let me see here takeaway from me speaking of a good passing game that i think is coming along i think look western kentucky's defense is not good (laughs) but i think ohio state might be figuring some things out on offense after we saw them struggle in week one got a little bit better in week two Kyle McCord is finally named the official starter um, for this team and you know they were impressive like I said it was Western Kentucky but they put up 63 points it looked like a regular Ohio State offense Uh, Kyle McCord was super efficient 19 to 23 for 318 yards Marvin Harrison had over 120 receiving yards on five catches Um, and even the run game they had close to 200 yards uh, rushing, or over 200 yards rushing, too. And I think, you know, we had kind of mentioned this. We knew they weren't really going to get tested these first three weeks before heading into this week against Notre Dame, but it was probably a good thing to kind of get maybe some of the rust off and and kind of initiate this new quarterback in, and also the offensive line. 
um, which uh, had a couple of guys lead for the NFL last year. But I think the pieces are starting to form there, and um, I'm intrigued what they do this week. Obviously, we'll talk about that game in a little bit. But, uh, no, I think a, a big thing, and scary if you're, if you're Penn State, I think you're with Michigan, who, once again, Michigan, I don't think has looked overtly great uh, against the competition. And I thought even Penn State, I think they got slowed down a little bit by Illinois. They probably should have won that game by a lot more, but they were not super efficient on offense against that Illini front seven. Um, so I think hey, this was a, a statement game for Ohio State to show that, yeah, this offense is going to be good again. It's just taking – it just took a little bit of time to get some of those new pieces in there. Yeah, this was 14-10 to 10 with about eight minutes to go in the second quarter, and the second quarter ended 42-10. to 10. <laughs> Ohio State put up – uh, 35 points in the second quarter, 28 of them in the final half of the quarter. 75-yard pass to Marvin Harrison, a chip train, 40-yard run, a couple touchdown passes to Mecca Ibuka. Um, yeah, certainly they seem to get right, seem to figure some things out. And listen, you, like, you have a first-year starter. And I think what some of these programs are realizing, Clemson, Alabama, and now Ohio State, is it's really hard to go from first-round quarterback to first-round quarterback to first-round quarterback. And eventually, you're not going to have a first-round quarterback, right? Clemson experienced yeah. this with DJU a couple years ago. You go from Sean Watson to Trevor Lawrence to DJU. There's a drop-off there. And DJU's a good quarterback, but he's not a top-10-level draft mm-hmm. pick quarterback. You look at Ohio State, who went, you know, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, and now who knows what Kyle McCord's going to be. Alabama went from, you know, you had, um, you had Tua – Mac Jones, Bryce Young. I mean, again, you can go back further for some of these. Even Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts before him. Like, again, embarrassment of riches. But, you know, Oklahoma, right? You went from, you know, Baker to Kyler to to Spencer Rattler, then Caleb. You know what I'm saying? So I think Ohio State's kind of figuring out, like, hey, we got to do things a little differently. Alabama, same thing. Like, it's it's weird to not see a top 10 projected draft pick at quarterback for Alabama. It's been anything like that so far. Uh, Just touching on some games. In the Big Ten, I, I watched a lot of the Illinois Penn State game because I thought that was that in the Kansas State Missouri game was the best. They, they were the best games in the noon window, and not super impressed with Penn State. And and it was their first road game, and Illinois that defense got torched the first two games, and mm-hmm. that defensive front especially Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph. Seth Coleman, I thought they fared pretty well against Penn State. I thought they held the running game in check. They affected Drew Aller. Drew Aller wasn't great in that game. They didn't need him to be because Illinois kept giving Penn State the ball. They had five turnovers. Luke Altmaier threw four interceptions. Um, (laughs) But, you know, Penn State, listen, you beat a conference opponent that won eight games last year by 17 on the road. You covered the spread. It is what it is, but – you know, Penn State still has to figure some stuff out. The Big Ten East is is fascinating. I mean, it really is. I think Michigan hasn't looked great in through three weeks. Ohio State continues to get better, I think. I mean, Ohio State scored more points against Western Kentucky than they did against Youngstown and Indiana combined, right? Um, and Penn State, as that third team, just continues to just kind of look pretty good, right? They're not beating teams, mm-hmm. for, you know, 63-7. to seven but they're, they're just kind of controlling the game, almost like a bow constrictor. They kind of squeeze the life out of you with how good they are on defense. You like that analogy, huh? I like that analogy. I do, I do. The Penn do. State uh, Anacondas. Um, all right. Let's, uh, <laughs> any, uh, anything else you want to chat about week three here real quick? we got a loaded week four that we got to get to. 
All I'm just picturing now is anytime we have a Penn State update, we're yeah. just going to play a clip of Anaconda by Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. My, yeah. Or but, the, uh, anyways. Or the uh, movie with Ice Cube yes. and Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> oh, that is a classic, by the way. Yep. John Voight has the most terrible accent yeah. job ever, but it's um, it sounds like someone is trying to do a Brooklyn and a Colombian accent at the same time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fantastic. But um, anyways, speaking of... Uh, Things that can kind of tighten you up and kill you slowly. I'm going to talk about Oklahoma State. And uh, (laughs) talk about things that might be dying slowly. Oklahoma State loses 33-7 to to South Alabama. Look, South Alabama, not a bad Sun Belt team. This was a team that went to the Sun Belt Championship, but did lose a lot from last year's team. Had some injuries. But my goodness, Oklahoma State at home, losing by 26. They rotated... They're three. That's been something they've been doing this year. They've rotated three quarterbacks, um, and none of them were really, really successful. I mean, the final stat line for all of them was oh, my computer just froze. Um, but basically, it was not good. Um, you know, that's Alan, for sure. No, it was it was not good. Let's just say that I think they passed for le- all three of them combined passed for less than 150 combined yards. They also gave up defensively over 240 yards on the ground to South Alabama and. You know, we talked about, like, the vibes at, at Oklahoma State just the last, like, last year. It wasn't great how they ended the season. I know they were really, really banged up. Um, I noted numerous times, like, when they played in their bowl game, it looked like Mike Gundy did not give a crap whatsoever. And then you had all the guys that transferred out, key contributors, whether that was Spencer Sanders or Mason Cobb or Bryson Green or a slew of other wide receivers. It just didn't feel like things were in a right spot there. And... You know, it looked like, you know, they were maybe turning some things around against ASU last week when they had a good second half. But this was this was not a good luck at home against an opponent that you should probably beat, and you get stormed off the field by them. Um, so that's really my kind of my biggest takeaway from there is vibes aren't great. I don't think Mike Gundy's in any, any danger, especially with that their schedule is, is very, very favorable in the Big 12. We talked about that in our Big 12 preview. Um, but just not great at all. And here's the stat line. They were combined 16 of 35 for 114 yards, the three quarterbacks were. Um, yeah, just not a, a recipe for success. So that was another takeaway. For That was probably my, my last takeaway was yeah. just not not good things happening at Oklahoma State. So we we have not talked about week four yet, but and this is a game that we are not going to choose when we draft the best matchups. Do you know who Oklahoma State plays next week? They have – oh, God. Oh God! They have Iowa State in the is this, the is, sickos game of the century is going to be Oklahoma State and Iowa State. If you watch this game and you're not a fan of those two teams, you need help. You just do. Is this is this El Asico part <laughs> part two? Um, it should be. I mean, Iowa loses ten seven to Ohio. Now, some controversy in that game. I sent you the video. Do you yes. blame the? Iowa State I think he made it. seemingly makes a field goal. The ball goes almost directly over the upright. The officials say the field goal is not made. This is in the fourth quarter. Iowa State's down three. It would have tied the game. They rule it a no-good field goal, and they can't review it. It's not a reviewable play. And the replays they show on TV, it's funny. Like The announcers are going to break with the replay, and the announcers are like, I think he made that. And the other guy's like, I think he did too. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, again, if you're Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell also seemingly got into a little altercation with the fan afterwards. Like the oh. wheels seem to be falling off 
for Matt Campbell at Iowa State. They, I mean, we've talked about it before, have not been able to replace their heavy losses like Brock Purdy and Brees Hall and some of the guys on offense that really led to their success in 2020 and 2021. And they are one and two. They have one over an FCS team. They lost to Iowa and they lost to Ohio on the road. They scored seven points on the road at Ohio. That basically means Ohio's like a 13-point favorite over Iowa, if, if, my, if my math is correct. Um, and, yeah, and it's now it's, it's Oklahoma State at Iowa State at 4 o'clock Eastern on FS1. And the, if Oklahoma State loses that game, there will, there will be some whispers. That's a, that's a program that's very well funded. It's a program that does not – remember, they were not very good last year. I think they won, what, six, seven games last year. Um, so I would not be surprised if some rumblings start happening. I think Iowa State's like a three-and-a-half-point underdog or favorite. I forget what uh, – what, what What's is. the over-under on that game? Uh, hang on. Let me pull it up here. Let me see if I can get it. <laughs> One o'clock. Uh, all right. It is Iowa State minus three-and-a-half. The over-under is 36-and-a-half. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It's basically like a probably Big Ten West game. That, that, this – they should count this as seventeen to ten, like written all over. Yeah, they should count this for like the Big Ten West standings. <laughs> it should be the no runner that low. Sorry, Lucas. All right. <laughs> no, no, the the Big Ten West offenses are, it's it's bad. It's bad. Wisconsin might have bad. the best offense at all, really, which is which is which is saying the something. Big Ten West. Just real quick, is this as bad as you've seen it? I mean, this is like yes. it's, it's pretty, not even close. Pretty bad. It's bad. Usually the Big Ten West, I've, I've always defended it because I've always been like, there's usually always like two to three like pretty good teams. Like usually two to three ranked teams. Usually not top ten, but you're going to get like maybe a top ten to fifteen team in there and then like two other top twenty-five teams. That's not it this year. I I mean, Iowa, outside of their offense, is a top twenty-five team. But <laughs> their offense, they scored 42 points and like their offense was still terrible. Uh, I don't know how that happens, but well, so I'll tell you how it happened bad. because the Iowa defense forced like four turnovers, and they <laughs> they said this. It was on the Cover Three show on Saturday. I think three of Iowa's touchdown drives were like fewer than thirty five yards because they yep. got set up in good field position. <laughs> so no, it's it's bad, and like Minnesota has no offense. I mean, Illinois Nebraska is pretty bad. N- Nebraska pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. Wisconsin had, and I will say not to be biased, Wisconsin has upside. I think their offense can be really good. They've shown in streaks. They just have not shown it. They're either going three and out every drive, <laughs> or they, they will score on like three to four consecutive drives. There's no in between. Um, oh, no. Yeah, they, they, had, they had a stretch in the first half against Georgia Southern. They went four straight three and outs. And then the second half, they had four straight drives where they scored touchdowns. It was, um, they're very hot and cold. But... Yeah, it's it's as bad as I've seen, and it's fitting because it's the last year we're gonna have the Big Ten West, and it's fitting that it's probably gonna be the most dysfunctional year out of out of all of them. So, um, unless something improves, but I don't I don't see it happening. So we'll uh, we'll see. All right, let's turn our attention to a loaded week four here on the docket. I'm gonna run through the schedule. Uh, real quick, a little overview of it, and then Lucas, I will give you the first pick of our draft. So get your draft board ready, and I'll come to you for the uh, the first pick here. So Thursday, it starts with a, uh, a G5 matchup between Georgia State, who's undefeated, going to Coastal Carolina. 
Pretty intriguing on Friday. We have Wisconsin at Purdue, 7 o'clock Eastern on FS1. NC State at Virginia, 7.30 Eastern on ESPN. And Boise State at San Diego State at 10.30 Eastern on the CBS Sports Network. Turning our attention to Saturday in the noon slate, Florida State at Clemson on ABC, Oklahoma at Cincinnati on Fox, Rutgers at Michigan on the Big Ten Network, Kentucky at Vanderbilt on the SEC Network, SMU at TCU on FS1. Moving to the 330 window, Colorado at Oregon on ABC, UCLA at Utah on Fox, Ole Miss at Alabama on CBS, Miami at Temple on ESPN2, Boston College at Louisville on the ACC Network, BYU at Kansas on ESPN, uh, moving our attention. We already talked about Oklahoma and Iowa State on FS1 at 4 o'clock Eastern. Moving our attention to the, the 7 o'clock window, the primetime window, Georgia Tech at Wake Forest, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on the CW. Arkansas at LSU on ESPN at 7 o'clock Eastern. Oregon State at Washington State, 7 o'clock Eastern on Fox. Um, we have Texas at Baylor, 7.30 on, ESP, or on, on ABC. Uh, Ohio State at Notre Dame on NBC at 7.30. Iowa at Penn State, 7.30 on CBS. And in the late night window, USC at Arizona State, 7, uh, 10.30 Eastern on Fox. Cal at Washington, 10.30 Eastern on ESPN. All right, Lucas, first pick is yours. We're not going to do any time window uh, limits or anything. We're just gonna we're each gonna pick four games. You'll pick a game. We'll talk about it. I'll pick a game. We'll talk about it, and that's how we'll do our week four preview. So the the ball is in your court. Your first pick. So I'm taking the Battle of Houston. Sam Houston versus Houston. No, I am just kidding. I am. <laughs> By the way, that over under in that game. Talk about bad offenses. Thirty eight for uh, Sam Houston and Houston. But um, yeah, just tells you everything about the state of Houston's program right now. But no, I'm going with the top game of the week, and that is Ohio State-Notre yep. Dame. Kind of talked about it a little bit coming in. I'm really excited to see kind of how Ohio State's offense, they're able to keep it against what I think is pretty stingy Notre Dame defense. And I'm just excited to see Notre Dame. Look, we saw them get tested a little bit against NC State, but this is a whole other animal. Remember, last year, Notre Dame played Ohio State really, really tough. They only left the shoe with... An 11-point loss, 21-10 to in Marcus Freeman's first game. I think this is a much-improved Notre Dame team from a year ago. Um, and they've just been, we've said, they just kind of have crushed everybody that they've played. And Sam Hartman has been everything as advertised for them. Um, I think there is some question of whether or not he would adapt to playing in a much different system than what he played at, at Wake Forest. That has been an issue. And they've been able to find weapons around it. I mean, Audrey Kastemi has been really, really good running the ball. He's got a great offensive line led by Joe Walt um, at left tackle. I'm excited, and I think uh, Ohio State's defensive front is pretty darn good, too. I just think there's, there's a really, really big, exciting matchup. I'm excited to see how Notre Dame's defense lines up against the wide receiving core for Ohio State. And it's just one of those games where finally we think we kind of know about these teams, and we're finally going to get to learn – so much more about them this week. And that's why I'm picking um, this game, too, because, like I said, for Iowa State, we really, we really, really don't know. And for Notre Dame, this is a big this is a big game. I mean, Marcus Freeman's an Ohio State alum, and this is arguably the biggest game probably of his tenure so far. Um, you're at home. You've got great momentum. You finally found a really good quarterback to lead your team. 
and you're on national TV uh, playing a, a big-time program that you recruit really, really hard against. Um, so I think just all those storylines is why I'm picking this game and really, really excited to watch it on Saturday night. Yeah, listen, the bottom line for this game is the, the, the winner becomes an instant playoff contender, right? The winner mm-hmm. for Ohio State, you can say we have one of the best non-conference wins of any team in America, maybe only behind Texas. And it might even be better than Texas is when, all, you know, when the dust settles, right? Ohio State going on the road, an actual road game at night. Notre Dame, like, I mean, you mentioned the numbers. Sam Hartman's completing 71% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, no interceptions, only been sacked four times. Audric Estemi is averaging over eight yards a carry, 521 yards already through four games, on pace for over 1,500 yards. You know, Chris Tyree, 216 yards. Jaden Thomas, 12 catches, 188 yards. They just have guys stretching the field, right? You know, Jaden Greathouse has been really good for them as, as a, a true freshman. Jeremiah Love, the true freshman running back from St. Louis, is averaging over six yards a carry. So Notre Dame has been really impressive, 4-0. They have a nice win at NC State. But, you know, this is a chance. It's a statement game for both teams, right? It's mm-hmm. a statement game for Notre Dame. And if Notre Dame wins this game, you know, they still got to play USC. You still got to play, you know, Duke. You still have to play Clemson. There's still a lot of it's, – it's not super easy down the stretch. But you – if you beat Ohio State, you give yourself a lot of margin for error. You could still lose one more game, mm-hmm. probably make the playoff if you're, if you're an 11-1 Notre Dame with your only loss uh, being, you know, not to Ohio State somewhere else on the schedule, but you have a win over Ohio State. So, yeah, this is the best game of the weekend it's probably maybe besides alabama texas the most hyped game when we looked at the the non-conference slate this season mm-hmm. notre dame and ohio state and it just worked out both teams are are undefeated notre dame's 4-0 ohio state's 3-0 and for ohio state we'll see how good Kyle McCord is you get to see marvin harrison who might be the best player in the country against the notre dame defense yeah it's it's gonna be awesome 7 30 eastern on nbc um i'm gonna take us to the noon window And I'm going to go Florida State at Clemson. Um, Florida State struggled a little bit on the road. Their first true road game, they beat Boston College by two after being favored by, I think, 26 and a half. Um, Don't put a ton into it. I mean, this clearly was a look-ahead spot for Florida State. They go on the road to Death Valley. It's a noon game. It's on ABC. And if you're Florida State, you don't play North Carolina this year. Um, this might be the really the, the only spot where you are not going to be a heavy favorite, right? If you look at the rest of the schedule for Florida State, they're home Virginia Tech, home Syracuse, home Duke, at Wake, at Pitt, home Miami, northern Alabama, at Florida. So, yeah, you have Duke, you have Miami, you have Florida. But Florida State's a short favorite. I think it's two and a half. You, you win this game, you put yourself in a great spot to, to be in a position to play for the ACC championship and a position to be in the playoff. You already have a huge non-conference win at LSU. You could get another one if Florida turns out to be a 7- or 8-win team. But you you, you uh, are going to go to the swamp the last week of the season. For Clemson, you know, is this the last stand of the Dabo era? Is this the last elite you know, gain that we're going to see, right? What does this look like? They've had, they took their lumps against Duke. They looked decent against Charleston Southern. They looked really good last week. They beat Florida Atlantic by, I think, 34 points, 48 to 14. Um, What does the offense look like? Can they stop Florida State on the outside? 
Um, Jordan Travis got a little banged up against BC, had to leave the game for a little bit uh, of time there, ended up coming back in. So, And I think on a larger picture for Florida State, like you have played second fiddle to Clemson for so long mm-hmm. that this is about, I think, for Mike Norvell and those players, like making a statement. I know there's no divisions anymore. I know these teams could easily meet again. But this is a, hey, we have been second or third or fourth best in this division for so long. Let's go out and make a statement on the road in a hostile environment and get a nice win. So I'm really looking forward to Florida State and, and Clemson. So I was going to say, who do you think – I thought you brought up a good point there. Who do you think is feeling more pressure in this game? Is it is it Florida State to finally prove to get over the hump of Clemson? Or do you think it's Clemson like basically trying to stave off um, – maybe a slight decline in their overall program trajectory? I think it's a good question. I think it's Clemson, and it's a little bit more nearsighted than that. If Clemson loses this game, they have two losses in conference. Mm -hmm. You're probably not, with how good North Carolina's looked, with how good Miami's looked, you're probably not going to make the ACC championship game, which means you might not make a New Year's Six Bowl, which means you could be spending – you know, the holiday season playing in, like, the Citrus Bowl or, like, the Cheez-It Bowl. <laughs> like, no offense to those bowls games, but that's not where Clemson fans. <laughs> which which Cheez-It Bowl? There's two That's of them, true, right? actually. And, actually, <laughs> funny enough, they're, the Cheez-It sponsor is the Citrus Bowl. There's there's the Cheez-It yeah. Bowl and the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. Maybe, maybe they'll play both of them. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, like, if Clemson loses this game, they're effectively out of the ACC a third of the way into the season. Right, so what does that look like the rest of the way? So I think Clemson faces more pressure. Yeah, I would uh, I would happen to agree. And you're out of the playoff chase with two losses too. Um, I can't re- I could not remember the last time Clemson would be out this early in the season because even last year they didn't get their second loss till what mid November when they lost to, uh, Notre, to Dame. Notre Dame. Yep. So, um, all right, uh, let's see here. My game, that was actually going to be my next pick, so I will move on. Oh, the 2.30 window, or 3.30 window, I guess. Uh, 2.30 in God's time zone. <laughs> um, I am going to go with the team we talked about earlier, and I'm going with Ole Miss, Alabama. I think, not necessarily because I think this is the third best game by any measure, but what does Alabama look like in this game? I mean, we had talked about when they had lost – to Texas, I think you picked them. You're like, hey, I'm going to take them against South Florida just to bulldoze them, take their anchor out, and that did not happen. They are starting Jalen Mil- Milrow again this week, which I think is the smart decision. Look, Jalen Milrow hasn't been great, but he was 100 times better um, against that level of competition than Ty Buckner or Ty Simpson was. And you're playing – I think it's also big, too, because you're playing Ole Miss. We know the history that Lane Kiffin – <laughs> and Nick Saban have. I mean, Nick, Lane Kiffin already stirred the pot. What was this today? Saying that he thinks that they pseudo made like a defensive coordinator change because he said the defense they're running is not the type of defense that Kevin Steele runs. He's like, I think they made a change um, after their game against Texas and didn't tell anybody. And, you know, I think for Ole Miss too, I still have a lot of questions with them as well. How good are they actually? Yes, they went on the road and they beat Tulane, but it was with a backup quarterback, and that was still a one-possession game late into that ball game. They could have easily lost that. Yes, they beat up what I think is not a great Georgia Tech team. So how good are they actually? And then also Alabama, you know, they're, they're going to face a lot of pressure. Do they come out and be the Alabama that 
we've grown accustomed to? Or do they just keep uh, making us think that this is just kind of a, a very down year for, for Alabama? I think just those question marks alone make this game really, really intriguing in the 330 window. Yeah, this was the game that I was going to pick next as well. Uh, I thought you might go with one of the Pac-12 games, which I'll, I'll probably touch on here next. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple things intrigue me about this game. Obviously, the Alabama storylines. Like Clemson, Alabama loses, and they are out of the playoff race, right? They're not going to – they will not be in. Um, Ole Miss, I think, has a legit chance to beat them. This line's, I think, six and a half, seven, basically. Mm-hmm. If Alabama plays the way they played against South Florida, like, they will lose this game. I mean, Ole Miss can score. Lane knows Alabama, knows how to put up points against Alabama. Um, and it will be interesting to see how does this team respond after one of the worst performances of the Nick Saban era. And, listen, for Ole Miss, like, Jackson Dart has been pretty good for them. Completing 66% of his passes, seven touchdowns, one interceptions, also leads them in rushing. And I'm interested to see can they get Quinshawn Judkins, you know, rolling. He's averaging 3.3 mm-hmm. yards per carry. He has not topped 61 yards in each game this season. He had 13 carries for 37 yards against Georgia Tech, 18 carries for 48 yards against Tulane. This is the guy that we thought might be the best running back in the SEC. You know, the, they're, they're, uh, the SEC freshman of the year last year, really hasn't gotten off to a great start. So interested to see what they do with him um, as well. And, and, yeah, I mean, this is – anytime you get Lane Kiff and Nick Saban, it's going to be intriguing. It's going to be fun. And this is a really important game for Alabama. Again, a little bit like Clemson. Are we seeing some cracks in the Alabama dynasty? I think Clemson, you're seeing some more cracks. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you're seeing all sorts of wild rumors out there about Alabama. You're talking about the team – quitting they're changing coordinators uh i was listening to one show and they brought up like do you think nick saban just doesn't care because this is his last year <laughs> like is this, <laughs> is this nick saban's last year and he's like doesn't care but like you're just seeing all these weird things around this program and if they lose to ole miss get ready for those whispers Oof. to be a little bit louder so good pick by oh, man. Um, really intrigued by that one yeah. again like lucas said 330 eastern on cbs all right uh the pac-12 has i think four or three or four ranked on ranked matchups so yes. i will touch on the first one here give me oregon and colorado 330 eastern it's on abc oregon has looked really good this year uh they have played an fcs team they scored 81 points on they went on the road and beat texas tech in a game they probably should have lost or at the very least probably shouldn't have covered uh and then they beat hawaii most recently um, the offense looks crisp. The offense looks really good. Bo Nix is firing on all cylinders. Colorado, we saw we, we, we saw maybe a little bit of some some cracks in, in, in the armor. They have to beat Colorado State in double overtime in a game where, quite frankly, Colorado should have lost that game. I mean, a credit to them for pulling it out. They went like 98 yards in a minute to tie the game and then win in double overtime. But they lose Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter out for, I think, three or four weeks, basically. Kind of took a, a pretty kind of vicious hit. And a, a hit that did yeah. you know, kind of a, a dirty play there by Colorado State's mm-hmm. uh, defensive back. Not uh, So you don't have Travis Hunter. Lucas, the interesting thing in this game is it's like a 21.5 point spread. I mean, we have two ranked teams, and it's 21.5 points. Very um, Interesting, and I'm interested to see like yeah. what does Colorado look like. I mean, does, does this team come out and compete against Oregon? The over under is like 71. Uh, do we have like a 42-35 game and Colorado fights and competes, or is this like a 55 to 10 ass whooping? Like again, range of outcomes. Like that's what it could be. So, 
Oregon and Colorado. At this point, Colorado games, as we know, are basically much-watched television. Who knows what they'll, who, who they'll walk out with at this point uh, out of the locker room. So Oregon and Colorado is my second pick. Oh, man. What was it? I saw freaking Kawhi Leonard was at the game. Little Wayne yep. did, like, the walkout. You had The Rock coming to do guest picks. It's uh, it's crazy. It's most celebrities that have come to Boulder probably more than the last, like, 50 years combined um, here in the last three weeks. But, uh, no, I'm really intrigued by this game, too, especially the way, you know, what is, how does Colorado replace a guy like Travis Hunter? We were already kind of questioning what the depth looked like for this team with all the turnover that they had. And also, too, like, you know, once again, Jerry Sanders, as good as he's been, he's been taking a beating um, these first few weeks. I think he's on pace to be sacked almost 60 times this year. Um, the offensive line for Colorado is just not great. And I worry against, and, and look, um, you know, Oregon and USC maybe don't have the most dominating front seven in college football, but they have, they do have dudes, yeah. um, more dudes than what Colorado has previously faced. So I, I am a little bit worried um, with him taking those type of hits. And like you said, it's going to be probably the toughest environment, easily the toughest environment. Uh, Austin Stadium is one of the better home field environments. And like you said, can Colorado's defense keep up? We've only seen them, besides the Nebraska game, get, they gave up 42 to TCU, who had a pretty good offense, and they gave up 35 uh, to a Colorado State team that only won two games last year. So... What are they going to do against uh, uh, an Oregon offense that's averaging, I mean, that scored 80 points in one game this season, um, and I think scored, what, 55 in their last game against uh, against Hawaii. So um, just really, really intrigued how they hold up. And, you know, for and for Oregon, too. I mean, this is really there. Yes, they did go on the road and and had a, a really, really close call with, with Texas Tech. Um, how do they feel against um, once again, another another good uh, opponent at home. But, yeah, I'm intrigued. I looked at that line, especially with Travis Hunter going out. Um, I, I just don't know if Colorado's going to be I, – I don't know if Colorado defensively is going to be able to hold up against Oregon. That's what I really, really worry about. But um, should be a fun game. Probably going to be one of the most watched games of the weekend, um, for sure, because Dion uh, – like I said, as much as – this probably is going to make your ears bleed, Ryan. He has kind of helped transcend the sport a little bit this year. He's coming. I think it's overall overall good for the game. We're getting a lot of fans that probably would not be paying attention to college football are paying attention. But um, really, really intrigued to see how they come out in this game. Um, I'm actually, my next pick, I'm going to stay in the Pac-12. Same time slot, too. And it's uh, UCLA-Utah. Yep. Um, for UCLA, this is really their first real big test. Of the year, obviously they played three group of five teams in the regular season. Dante Morris looked really, really good as a true freshman. But we know how Utah is at Rice Eccles Stadium. Um, it's what been like three years or so and some change since they've lost a home game there. And, and, and they're and a different I'm, team. I'm there. pretty sure that year was the COVID year when they had no fans. Fans, yeah. So. And Colorado, unlike the previous years, had a really good September without Cam Rising. Do we know is Cam Rising projected to play? I don't know. Hang on, let me uh, let me look that up real quick. Keep talking. Um, I know Nathan, uh, Nathan Johnson started uh, in their last game. I think they played like Weber State. So obviously holding out Cam Rising for that game. 
But if Cam Rising plays, get to see Utah finally potentially at full strength. Um, and I am intrigued to see, you know, like a freshman like Dante Moore, though highly touted, this is by far going to be one of the best defenses that he faces this season. And just to see how they fare. And, you know, we mentioned UCLA, I believe, uh, I can't remember if we both picked them to be in the Pac-12 championship game, but... This is really their one biggest test, and the, the schedule does get a little bit easier after this. Um, but just really intrigued to see UCLA get tested for the first time, where Utah's been a little bit battle-tested this year, having already beaten you know wins against Florida at home without Cam Rising and also on the road at Baylor. Um, so know a little bit more about Utah, but excited to learn a little bit more about um, UCLA in this matchup. Yeah, this is an interesting kind of dichotomy in two 3-0 teams. And one of them hasn't looked great on paper. And that's Utah, right? You mm-hmm. beat Florida by 13. Yeah. You struggle at Baylor. They beat Weber State 31-7 to at home in week three. You haven't had Cam Rising. The offense has really struggled to put up points. Cam Rising, I could not find an answer. It sounds like UCLA is preparing as if he will play. But I think a lot of coaches would tell you that on Monday of game week. Yeah, we're just going to prepare and then adjust. Uh, or you have UCLA, which has played three two group of five teams and an FCS team. They went at San Diego State. They won 35-10. They beat NC Central 59-7 last week. They haven't been tested, but they've looked better, right? The numbers will look better. They're averaging more points, whatever it is. So um, I am really interested to see Dante Moore. Um, We talk about quarterbacks in the Pac-12. He's not at that level yet. But assuming he stays at UCLA for two or three years, granted, they'll be in the Big Ten next year. But, like, that's a guy that could be at that level. Maybe not the Caleb Williams mm-hmm. level, but maybe, like, the Bo Nix, Shudder Sanders, like, that kind of level, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, we, like you said, we're both pretty high on UCLA. And this is the first kind of big test for them. What does it look like? What does Dante Moore look like? Do we see Cam rising? Um, I have more on this later in my picks, so we'll see what happens. Mm. Yeah, a little, uh, little tease for you. Um, <laughs> all right, I will, uh, I will go next, and I will take us to another game on CBS. It is a CBS doubleheader. It is the game in prime time. It is in Happy Valley, Penn State and Iowa. Uh, Penn State, second straight game against the Big Ten West. Uh, the defense looked in control against Illinois. And now the defense will welcome in the explosiveness of Iowa. It's the race to 325. Iowa needs to put up, I think, like 20-something points to stay on track for Brian Ferentz. Um, But, you know, listen, I think right now on September 18th, I would peg Iowa as the favorite in the Big Ten West, which means this could be a Big Ten championship preview, right, as weird as that sounds. Penn State has looked really good through three weeks. They have... Again, Penn State's one of the most talented teams in the entire country. Drew, uh, with Drew Alar, like, I, I think that they know that he doesn't have to be perfect right now with the way their defense is playing, with the way their offensive line is playing. And I'm interested to see at some point, does he, if he, when he needs to step up, what will it look like, right? When they need, mm-hmm. you know, a two-minute drive to win the game, whether it's this week or, you know, against Michigan or, like, whatever it is, you know, what does that look like? And if you're Penn State, you know, you've really only tripped up the last handful of years against Michigan and Ohio State. I think Maryland looks pretty good this year, and Iowa at this point is ranked. They're 3-0. I think these will be your, those will be your two tougher games besides Michigan and Ohio State. 
So, you know, again, what does Penn State look like? Is it a 31-10 to 10 win? Is it a, a game like they played against Illinois where they were never really kind of um, in doubt there? So give me Iowa. Give me Penn State. How does Cade McNamara look? Can, can Iowa keep this thing competitive? Um, or does, does Penn State continue to look like one of the best teams in the Big Ten? Yeah, and you mentioned uh, potential Big Ten championship preview. I believe that's – I think that's who I, I predicted at the beginning of the year. So interesting. I'm interested to see how Iowa does too. Can they do anything offensively to put somewhat of a scare – um, into Penn State, but we were even talking, I mean, as much as, uh, you know, Penn State's defense played great against Illinois, their offense did struggle a little bit against Illinois' defensive front, and Iowa might be the only team in the Big Ten West that can match that, if not be better than that, and um, Iowa has one of the best defenses in the country. It's just, can they keep it somewhat, like, can they create opportunities like they did against Western Michigan where you're giving your offense only 20, 30 yards to go in and score. If they can do that, this is close. I mean, for good, for, for goodness sake, it, Penn State's fair by 14.5, and, and the overall over-under is just 41.5. Um, so I think they're only expecting Iowa to score maybe like 10 or 13 right. points in this game. Um, yeah, but we shall see. Uh, it should be a, a fun game on prime time. should be a great atmosphere there in Happy Valley. Um, and then what was the game I was going to look at? This will be your uh, this will be your this will be your last one, right? My last one, yeah. I believe, and I am going to look at. You took my my last pick, so I'm trying to. Uh, Come on, man! You, I'm, I am the Big Ten home run this pod, man. You could not think that Iowa. You could not let you, you, you could not let Iowa Penn State fall to the third round and think that you were going to get it. Come on. <laughs> oh, or here's one: the battle of um, kind of the red-headed stepchildren, um, and that is going to be Oregon State and Washington State, um, the two teams that apparently no Power Five conference wants, and. Of course, it's a top 25 matchup that I completely kind of forgot about. Um, but I think two really, really good teams. Obviously, um, Oregon State coming off that 10-win season last year. Uh, they've looked pretty good. You know, Damian Martinez um, has continued where he left off last year, one of the better running backs out in the Pac-12. Um, Oregon State's defense still looks pretty good. Even DJU um, has been decent. And then you get Washington State who obviously I know firsthand Wisconsin lost them a couple of weeks ago. I think it's looked really, really impressive. Uh, Cam Ward in his second year looks far more comfortable playing at the FBS level. Um, I think they, they had over like 700 yards of offense against Northern Colorado last week. But they're one of those teams. This is one of those games I think you whoever wins goes up a tier. I think right now I would still put Oregon State and Washington State kind of in that mid-tier in the Pac-12. You win that game, you start. I think you can start to make an argument. Maybe they, ha um, maybe they could belong in that upper tier, um, and really a good test, I think, for both of these teams. This game is in Pullman. Be at night should be a great atmosphere, um, atmosphere there, and and really I think it's for both of these teams just trying to get another big win on their resume and just to show that they belong as maybe a potential dark horse to contend um, in the Pac-12. 
Yeah, a little bit like the Utah-UCLA game, right? Oregon State has not faced a Power 5 team yet. They really have not been tested. They beat San Jose State 42-17 in Week 1. They beat UC Davis 55-7, and then San Diego State 26-9, the latter of those two games at home. Coming up, uh, the next two games for Oregon State are at Washington State and then a a home game on a Friday night against Utah. So – We'll, we'll find out real just kind of quickly how good Oregon State is. Um, but, yeah, this is a fun one. Two, two really good offenses, two good coaching staffs, two electric quarterbacks. Like, like you said with Cam Ward, I mean, he has been really, really good this year in his second year up in Pullman. This is a fun one. And like you said, this is a tier raiser, especially for Washington State. I think Oregon State last mm-hmm. year, you won 10 games. You won nine games in the regular season. I think people knew – Kind of how good you were. I, I don't. I think we both were a little hesitant on Washington State. We kind of put them in that middle tier of the conference in the preseason, and a win here at home would go a long way. It would give them two pretty signature wins in the first four weeks, right? Home Wisconsin and home Oregon State. All right, I will round out my picks by going to the SEC. It's noon. It's on ESPN. It's Auburn at Texas A and M. Auburn's three and zero. They beat UMass and Samford and then had a win at Cal where they kind of struggled to score and probably should have lost that game. Like realistically, Cal just couldn't punch it in in the red zone when they really needed to do it in the second half. So Auburn's 3-0, and Texas A&M's 2-1 and with two wins that really don't matter and a loss at Miami. So it's the first real test for Auburn, first real test for A&M both in the conference or uh, in the league, I should say. What does it look like, right? What does it look? I mean, this is a game A and M should win, right? If if you look at the line here, it is A uh, and M is favored by seven and a half points. Over under is at fifty two and a half. Do you trust A and M to cover seven and a half points against Auburn? Absolutely not. God no. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> but this is the game that A and M should win. You should beat. If you're Jimbo Fisher, you have, you're facing a first year coach at home. You have better players. You have a better quarterback. Well, at least a. Uh, Better rated quarterback out of high school. You have a you know higher higher rated recruit quarterback, um, and I'm, I'm interested to see kind of can can Hugh Freeze score points against a power five team. We have not seen that yet this year. We have not seen kind of what this Auburn offense looks like uh, against a team that has equal athletes, and A and M will have equal athletes in this game. So interested to see. I mean, listen, if, if Auburn goes to College Station and Hugh Freeze's first year and beats Jimbo at home. Again, you'll start seeing the articles. What's the, uh, you know, what's the uh, what's the daily, uh, you know, Jim Fisher buyout number going to be today? What's it tomorrow? What's it the next day? So interested in Auburn A and M. Yeah, I think Bruce Feldman just came out with like a story that like A and M boosters are like ready to do it if they have to. Yep. I think it's, I think it's like seventy six million dollars or something. It's it's up there, but they are ready to do it if they have to. But like you said. There's, Jimbo Fisher has to win this game. I don't care if he wins it by a field goal, but they, they cannot lose to Auburn at home. You, you, like For the points you mentioned, first-year head coach who has a transfer quarterback in his first year in the system, whereas Jimbo, you brought in top five recruiting classes year after year. You have, an experience, or you, have like you mentioned, a higher-rated guy. You have athletes all over the field. There's no excuse why you should you should lose this game. And the fact that we're still undecided, I think just tells you where we see Texas A&M. And like, like we said too, they need to win this game because 
I thought Texas A&M probably had to win like eight games this year for Jimbo Fisher to save his job. You lose this game, you're two and two with eight games left with, with games still against Alabama, a game at Tennessee. You still have to play LSU to end the year. Um, and your other games become more toss-up-y, like against Arkansas or even South Carolina uh, or Ole Miss. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's intriguing for that. But then, like you said, too, for Auburn, you know, kind of like we said, kind of the same with a couple of teams in the SEC, whether it's Ole Miss uh, or even out, like we or like we were talking about with like UCLA. We just have not seen them really, really tested. Yes, they had a gutsy kind of gritty win against Cal. But we weren't expecting too much from Cal to begin the season. Um, yeah, interesting game on that note. But, uh, yeah, I, just brutal if you're an A&M fan, the fact that you're still fretting about, like, a game like this in, like, year five under, under Jimbo Fisher. Yep. All right, uh, let's get to our picks of the week here as we, uh, as we round out the show here. Uh, tough week for Lucas and I in week three, both of us going one and two. Uh, Lucas, your victory was Florida plus six and a half against Tennessee. Lucas has hit his upset three weeks in a row. So for those listening, if Lucas gives you an underdog. One positive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the losses were Louisville minus ten and a half against Indiana. Louisville just kind of, I don't know, sleepwalks through that game. Up 21-7. Indiana scores to make it 21-14. Indiana almost came back and, and tied that game as well. Louisville yeah. ends up winning by seven in Indianapolis. And then Florida State minus 26 and a half at Boston College. Lucas, you made a cardinal sin. Uh, we have a principal on this pod. We do not bet against a team uh, when they do a 9-11 memorial game. And, and unfortunately, we... If only I knew. Yeah, if only, if only if we, at, at some point, we, we, we got to do your research, and we, we just got to really hope that we can... Um, we can... Uh, we can do better there. So, all right. I'm, I'm also one and two. I had a, uh, a win, Fresno State minus two and a half at Arizona State. Didn't, don't talk about that game. Don't want to talk about that game. <laughs> Fresno State beats ASU 29 to zero. Purdue plus three at, uh, versus Syracuse, a loss. The Boilermakers lose by, I think, 15. And Alabama minus 31 and a half. Never, never a question there. The Crimson Tide would have been nice if they showed up. So, all right, Lucas, I'm going to start us off with my lock of the week. This is what I'm going to do. There's a matchup in the Pac-12 between a hotshot first-year coach with who is running a dynamic offense, and they are playing a coach in year two also having a dynamic offense. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere. Of course, I'm talking about USC and Arizona State. <laughs> I am – I knew – I. Knew it. That's what you were going with. Like, it's too obvious. Uh, I am taking the under 61.5 in USC, Arizona State, because I don't think Arizona State can score. Arizona State is down to their probably their fourth string uh, quarterback. Jane Rashad is out four to six weeks. Drew Pine and Trenton Borgate both sustained injuries against Fresno State. They're also without, they were without their star tight end, Jalen Conyers, although he might be back for USC. Offensive line has been a huge issue with injuries. They are just really banged up, and I don't know how they score more than 10 points in this game. And I think with it being a late-night game on Fox, I think USC might call off the dogs here and sit Caleb uh, towards the end. So I, I, I just – this could be 55-0. to I think the line's like 34 for USC. I don't want that. But give me – I think it's 32 or 31.5, actually. But give me the under 61.5. I don't think ASU scores more than, like – 
maybe three or six points. So that's my wow. that's my lock of the week. So why don't we go to to, uh, to your lock of the week? <laughs> to your lock. So um, that's brutal here. Uh, when you guys were texting about uh, ASU's quarterback, uh, yeah, issues right now with the injuries. That's just that just sucks. Um, because you want something like the bright spot of ASU this year. Yes, it might be a rebuild job, but at least you get to see like Jalen Rashada and see those guys yeah. kind of mature throughout the year. And the fact you don't get to see that just sucks. But I am actually going to say in the Pac-12, I'm going with a game that I think our viewers might have thought you were alluding to. Uh, and I am actually, and I'm doing an over-under with it, um, with Colorado and Oregon. I'm taking over 70 and a half. Um, because to me, I think at worst, Oregon puts up 50 on Colorado. Um, I just don't see Colorado stopping them. And I think Colorado is going to probably put up at least 20 ish points. Um, even if some of that maybe is in garbage time. So I just think both of these teams have very explosive offenses. And I just don't think, I don't think Colorado's offense can stop a nosebleed. So, um, give me, especially with Travis Hunter being out, they're not going to have him playing on that side of the ball. Um, so give me the over in Colorado, Oregon at 70 and a half. It, that was almost mine. I, I definitely like that. I think that's, that's the right side of that. Um, yeah. I am, uh, all right. Uh, my, uh, I'm going to take our underdog now, my upset of the week. I'm taking UCLA plus four and a half at uh, Utah. Um, I know it's Rice Eccles. I know Utah traditionally is really hard to beat there. But I just think UCLA, I just think they're better. I, I, I don't love what Utah's done offensively. We don't know about Cam Rising. Even if he comes back, I mean, again, it's a short, it's like a 10-month turnaround or a 9-month turnaround after an ACL. I don't know how mobile he's going to be. UCLA's defense isn't flying around playing well, albeit against not great competition. Dante Moore has looked impressive. Carson Steele is averaging over eight yards a carry. Um, so I think UCLA wins this game outright. So give me four and a half. I think if Utah wins, it's within a field goal. So give me UCLA plus four and a half at Utah. That was my that was my upset pick this week. Let's go. So we're, we're both rolling with the Bruins. Yeah, for the same reasons you said. Uh, don't with the uncertainty with Cam Rising. If he comes back, it's still his first game. Um, in almost a year coming in to play a, a pretty good UCLA team. There's probably still going to be a little bit of rust there. And I think UCLA will be able to move the ball. I think they have a good offensive line. Obviously, with Carson Steele back there running the football, I think they'll be able to, to, um, to have some success moving the ball as well. So, yeah, uh, same, uh, same. I'm taking UCLA plus four and a half as my upset pick against Utah. All right, why don't, you, uh, why don't you round us out by giving us your pick of the week? So my pick of the week, uh, a game we talked about, so what we think is the biggest game of the year. And I am actually taking Ohio State minus three and a half against Notre Dame. I just, I think Ohio State, maybe I started to find something. I think with Kyle McCord now being the guy, um, I think that, alleviates maybe a little bit of stress, maybe makes him a little bit more relaxed that he's not competing for his job week in and week out when they can focus and build the offense kind of around his strengths. And I just think the talent that they have, um, whether it be Marvin Harrison um, or Abuka um, or Cade Stover um, or the, the plethora of running backs, I just think, I think this is going to be a good game, um, but I do think that um, 
you do see Ohio State maybe start to show their muscles maybe towards the, the end of the second half. And I think they win this by, by closer to a touchdown than, uh, than a three-point game. So give me Ohio State minus three and a half um, on the road at Notre Dame. Uh, interesting. Interesting. I have, I have, I have no. I don't have a read on betting that game. I just, my gut probably says if it's more than a field goal, give me Notre Dame. But I could also see Ohio State really putting it to them and winning by like fourteen points. So I, it just, it's tough for me. All right, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna take it to Big Twelve country. It's noon on Fox. Give me Oklahoma minus fourteen and a half at Cincinnati. Cincinnati loses to Miami of Ohio last week. They beat Pitt 27-21 the week before. Oklahoma's just been rolling teams. They beat Arkansas State mm-hmm. 73-0. They beat Tulsa 66-17. They did struggle a little bit at home against SMU 28-11, but the offense looks great. They're firing on all cylinders. And I we, we talk about the new teams in conference. This will be Cincinnati's first conference game. I just think you're going to see a different level of talent, a different level of athlete. I think Oklahoma wins this game by three scores, at least by 17. So give me the Sooners, minus 14 and a half. I like that pick. Um, that was one I was thinking of as well. I mean, you mentioned Cincinnati. Yeah, they beat Pitt. Pitt looks like shit. Yeah, um, they do. They, they, look, they were absolutely dreadful against um, West Virginia. That I was optimistic about Phil Dracovic getting back with Frank Signetti, his old offensive coordinator, and it – their pass offense is non-existent, and um, as good of a year that I thought Pat Narduzzi did coaching that team last season, it does not look good there. And so that makes me less optimistic about where Cincinnati was and more kind of where I thought they were going to be and uh, one of maybe the two or three worst teams in the Big 12. So yep. I, don't, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. Yep. All right, it's a loaded week four. Uh, enjoy it, everyone. Lucas, appreciate the time as always, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, man. Yeah, good. Uh, once again, good to always talk with you. Always, and, man. Uh, yeah, excited to talk to these games next week. All right. All right, for Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baffalucas. We'll catch you all next time.